0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. My name is Rachel, and I'll be giving the announcements today, so I brought some visual aids. Um, The first announcement is our Christmas Eve services. On December 24th, we're going to have two services, a 2 o'clock and a 4 o'clock, which is awesome. Invite your family, invite your friends, and we're just asking that if you would please register online, that would help us know how many people to anticipate and how to best accommodate them. There's some instructions on the invitations on how to register. Next is our giving tree, as you've seen in the lobby, we have these gift tags um, on the Christmas trees. If you would like to bless someone in the neighborhood this Christmas with a gift, that would be amazing. What you can do is grab one of these gift ideas, um, return the gift next week unwrapped, and then we'll get that out to the neighborhood. So for example, this one says colored markers and adult coloring books, how cute. Um, Next is our um, Shepherd's Heart Pantry. Inventory is super low right now, because we're having so many people come through, like we're having over 500 people come through a week, which is awesome, but we need more food, guys. So if you would like to contribute to that mission, you can grab one of these bags in the lobby and help fill it up with some items. Um, There's a list of items on the bag itself for some ideas. And last but not least is game night is this Friday from 6.30 to 9. We started hosting game nights here at the church every first and third Friday of the month. It's a great time to meet people, to invite people. Um, we play board games, um, party games, card games, like everything except Monopoly because that destroys families. But if you're welcome to come. We would love to have you with us. So hope to see you there. That's all I got. Thank you. Oh, keep all right. it does, monopoly does destroy families, so please, no Monopoly. Uh, hey guys, my name is Anton. If we haven't met, I'm, uh, I'm the worship pastor here, and it is, it is really a joy and an honor to be here worshiping with you this morning. Um, So we're in our Advent season, week two, right? Um, One of the things we love to do here at Chapel Street uh, is invite family. So the man's family is going to come up, and they're going to read an Advent reading. And this helps just point us towards why we've gathered together. So go ahead. Okay, I will read from Luke 1, 76 to 79. You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace
1: the second advent candle is the angel's candle as we light it we are reminded of peace we live in a world where peace is hard to come by with a quick scroll on our phones we are bombarded by news of war crime and and political division and that unrest isn't just out there when we close our eyes at night it's hard to quiet the anxiety in our own hearts but jesus doesn't wait to make his entrance until all is calm and bright He meets us right in the midst of the chaos and the worry. In his tender mercy, he breaks into our shadowlands like the rising sun from heaven. Until he comes again, may we be like John the Baptist, preparing a way for the Lord of peace. Well, this morning we have the very rare privilege of doing two things that are really significant and important in the life of our church. And that's a dedication and a baptism. And what I love about what we're going to get to do this morning is We as a church family are getting to see what God does in the life of a young person over the the course of years because we start with a dedication. What a dedication is for us is a moment when uh, we dedicate a child to the Lord. We pray for them. We ask that God would come and work in their life. We make a commitment ourselves as a church family and as individual families to love and serve them and raise them in the way of Christ. And then a baptism is that moment when the individual themselves chooses to make a confession of faith, to say this is... This is no longer just something that is hoped for for me, it's something that I've embraced for myself. And so I'm really excited that the same family gets to share in both of those two really beautiful moments, the Vimont family. So I'm gonna invite the Vimonts to come join me up here and we're gonna be dedicating Ily and we're gonna be baptizing Anda. Um, we just did this a couple of weeks ago, but this is another really great reminder for us as a church family. We do these as often as the opportunity arises because what we see this morning in baptism and in dedication is really, it's the symbol, it's the embodiment of what our faith is really all about. This is what it's really all about, is people coming to know Christ for themselves, to know the great hope that he is for them. So I'm excited for you guys. Um, But when we do dedications, what we kinda do here at Chapel Street is we take this as an opportunity not to do anything magical or special, but really this is just a chance to do what we see in scripture. In fact, in the life of Jesus, shortly after he was born, his parents took him to the temple to dedicate him, to pray that God would do great things in and through his life. And so we follow suit in that. And the idea is that we as parents and as a church family would make a commitment to loving and serving the children in our midst. I've said it many times here at this church, our children matter. They matter a great deal. They are not only the next generation of the church, but even right now as they're growing, the Lord sees them. He tells us, all of us, that we should become like little children, that we should see the world the way that they do. So I wanna read a passage of scripture about what God calls us to do. He says this in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them whenever you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So Alex, Amy, Cade, and Ander, and Eileen, I want to ask you some questions. Having come to dedicate your child to the Lord today, I ask now that you enter into the following commitment in the presence of God and his people. Do you recognize that Eileen is a gift from God, that she is a blessing, that God has charged you with the responsibility of raising her in the knowledge and the love of God? Do you pledge as parents that with God's help you will bring up your child in the care and instruction of God's word, that you will invest your heart and mind in them with patience, grace, and love? and teach them the way of Christ and the joy of knowing him? Do you promise to pray for Eileen and to through humility set for her an example of Christ in your own life? If so, say we do. And church, I now ask you to make your commitments as well to Eileen. Do you hear today as members of God's family promise to pray for, encourage, and support the ones in the raising of Eileen and their children? Do you promise to be for them a loving community of faith and do you promise that as God grants you the opportunity, you will encourage and teach their children in the knowledge and the love of God. If so, say we do. do. Then I'm gonna pray for you, Eileen, that the Lord would bless you. Let's pray together, church family, for Eileen. Father, we recognize that all life comes from you. You are the light and life of mankind, and we praise you for the gift of Eileen. May the blessing of her life always grow in joy. May it bring this family joy and make an impact in the world around her. God, we ask that you would protect her life and nurture her heart. God, by your grace, may she come to know you and trust you at the earliest stage in her life. And will she seek to serve you and her neighbors with her whole heart. May she be a woman after your own heart. Fill her with courage and faith as she grows. And may she build your kingdom through her life. It's with great joy and celebration, Lord, that we dedicate Eileen to your kingdom and your glory and for your service. Amen. And now we get to invite Eileen's brother, Ander, to come down and to take his step of faith in baptism as well. So, Ander, you want to come join me down here? And whenever we do baptism, I just want to remind us this is not something magical. When Ander comes into these waters and Ander knows this, it doesn't magically change him. It's not these waters that forgives him of his sin or changes him. It's the Spirit of God. It's his faith in Christ to do for him what he couldn't do for himself. And so what we do here today is we just enter into a symbol of that. What the Bible tells us that what baptism is, it's a symbol of in the same way that Christ went into the grave, we are buried with him in baptism. And in the same way that three days later he rose from the dead, so too do we rise with him to live a new life. And Paul says in Galatians, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So this is a symbol of that very thing happening in Ander's life because of the love of God. So as Ander comes and steps into the wars and we prepare to take this step of baptism, I'm gonna invite Jen to share just a little bit of his testimony, his story with us so that we can celebrate with him what God has done in his life. Jen, would you share with us?
2: I've grown up in a Christian home. My parents and my grandparents love Jesus and so do I. I first experienced Jesus when I learned that Jesus died on the cross for me and loved me, so I decided to trust him. One evening in the spring of 2023, I was laying in my bed by myself, and I knew I wanted to let God in my heart, so I prayed and asked God to come into my heart and forgive my sins. I had been impacted by seeing other people baptized at church in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I saw that they trusted in Jesus, and I knew that I could too. I'm still learning what it means to follow Jesus and growing in my faith. I've seen answers to prayer from the Bible that grows my faith. For example, I like the story in the Bible where people were thrown into a fire because they didn't bow down to fake idols, but they've survived it because of God. Only God can do something like that. Sometimes now, when I know what I have sinned, I know I can pray and ask God for his forgiveness.
1: is this. Do you believe that the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus is paid for the forgiveness of your sins? And do you trust him? And do you promise to follow him for all the days of your life? Then on your profession of faith, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, and raised to walk in newness of life. Let's continue to worship church family as we celebrate the God that brings new life. One of the things that became
3: necessary as Serve the World sort of gained momentum was creating um, a structure to it. First of all, you need accountability for the funds that are coming in. We need decision-making for how they're going to be used. And then part of that was creating a, a Serve the World committee. So there's four others that brood over these decisions every six months. That team that Bruce leads, they vet the financial accountability of the ministry. They vet everything about that ministry before we decide to commit funds. So this team comes out of the room together, unified on each of the decisions, with excitement and confidence in how we are re-stewarding the generosity of Chapel Street Church. So each gift that is given to serve the world leaves Chapel Street Church. All funds are redistributed across the street and around the world. Huge to understand that. We don't keep any of it. Secondly, it's always going to make a gospel impact and make Jesus famous. And then finally, each gift is given with the vision that it's not dependent on us. That ministry will continue because we just help them get to over a big hurdle, but the sustainability of that ministry is going to be well beyond the cashing of the check that we send them. What I've realized is the relationships that grow in Serve the World Partnerships are with people, and as you spend time with people, you discover their hearts, and your heart starts to beat for the things that their heart beats for.
4: My name is Michelle Klicaris, and I have been serving on the board for Caring Network Aurora since 2021. Chapel Street Church highlighted Caring Network for our Serve the World, and I was not familiar with them before that, but God had already been prompting my heart, stirring a desire in my heart to serve in a new way. Hearing about the work of Caring Network mattered to me because I want women who are abortion-minded, those who are setting out to seek out an abortion, to find a clinic. I want her to know that there are people that love her, that care about her, that care about the baby.
3: When our team looks at applications, a lot of time what grabs our heart is realizing that if we were able to give to them at this very moment, it would be a breakthrough for their ministry impact.
4: Chapel Street Church was extremely generous. They were able to raise $250,000, and we are incredibly grateful to our Chapel Street family. What we were able to do with those $250,000 is actually two clinics. One is set up for Austin, just outside the city of Chicago, and then one in the city of Aurora, and that's the one that I have the joy of serving with.
3: Each of the Serve the World partners has a story. The the human trafficking space was one that was mind-blowing to a guy in his mid-40s when Naomi's House approached us. And I discovered that human trafficking was in the United States, and it was in the Western suburbs. It was on Randall Road.
5: My name is Simone Halpin. I'm the executive director and co-founder of Naomi's House. We believe that every woman who's been commercially sexually exploited deserves a new start. In the last seven years since we started serving women, we have grown from serving five women through our residential program to having three programs in four locations throughout the Chicagoland area. And as we finished 2023, we have served 194 women. I think this story represents to me, obviously, and very clearly, God's faithfulness. But something that we say all the time at Naomi's House that we believe and that we we witness happen in the lives of the women we serve is that it takes an entire community to come alongside a woman's life after it's been shattered from exploitation and trafficking. And Chapel Street demonstrated that. They said, we believe in the mission of Naomi's House. We believe in the dignity of women. We believe in the restoration of someone's life that has experienced such evil.
3: Simone helped me get her heart for women that were being trafficked as we continue to serve the world my hope is that chapel streeters will grasp one of the stories one of the relationships and individually figure out how they can be a part of the story
1: i love getting to sharing those stories every christmas of our serve the well partners and it's um it's easy to forget just how many different organizations we partner with instead of the World well, because each year what we typically try and do is we try and highlight one. So in previous years, we've done Naomi's House. We've done Caring Network in Aurora. Uh, we've done international partners in Africa and around the world. We've uh, helped with Stephen's Home in Ukraine. So there's a lot of different things. But whenever you look at those stories in isolation each Advent, you forget that all those stories are happening at the same time. Uh, and so what I love about this year is that we're kind of trying to take a, a closer look at the many different partners that we have through Serve the World and challenge ourselves again to grow in our generosity and support what God's doing around the world and across the street, as Pastor Bruce mentioned. And the other, the other side of this uh, is that it's not just financial generosity that we're talking about. I mean, we, we have set a goal for ourselves this year to reach $300,000 for our Serve the World partners. It's an ambitious goal, but one that we have, we've met regularly as a church family. But the other side of it is something that Bruce mentioned at the end: is we we don't just want to give our resources, but we want to give our hearts and our time and our hands. And what you notice in those stories is we've highlighted that uh, many Chapel Streeters have started the journey hearing about one of these stories and then jumped on board in one way. We've had people who've joined Life Water in Africa to help with that. Uh, we've got ladies that have gone to help serve at Naomi's house. Um, we have had a whole host of people jump in in a variety of different ways. And, and part of that is because we don't just want our church family to give our dollars. We want to give our hearts and our hands to the things that God's doing in our communities. Uh, so I just want to pray for this uh, before we head into today's message. Uh, and just ask God to, to be working in us, to give us a spirit of generosity and a heart of generosity, uh, and that God would do great things uh, in the lives of ourselves, the world partners this Advent. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you again for this chance just to come and be reminded of your generosity. Lord, we know that we will never outgive you. Uh, and in fact, the entire reason that we give it all is because you first gave. You so loved the world that you gave what was most precious to you, your only son. And so, God, I pray that we would be people like you, Lord. And there's often times when we are not, and we like to hold on to the things that are ours. But, Lord, I pray that this Advent season, you would give us your heart to be generous in whatever way that we can whether that's with our resources, our time, or our hands. Lord, we pray, God, give us a heart for the things that you have a heart for. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in our Christmas season, uh, and I will openly admit there's no time yet I love to preach more than Advent. Christmas messages are just always good, right? I could be terrible, and it would still be a great story, so it's good. Uh, but I love to just preach this message of God coming to be with us. And the, what we've called this series is Light and Life, Because what we're doing is we're looking at probably the most forgotten Christmas narrative. And that's the one in John's gospel. The ones that we typically think of are in Luke's gospel or in Matthew's gospel. The story of the wise men and the shepherds and and the angels visiting Mary. And what John does is he does something very different than all the other gospels. He doesn't start right in the middle of the action. He rewinds the tape to the very beginning of time. And he tells us that the Christmas story began before the world began. That God's plan of what he would do in Christ began long ago. So what I want to do is I just want to read together as a church family, John 1, verses 1 through 14. And each week we're going to read this, and we're going to remind ourselves of this. Who is the child that was born in the manger? Why is he so significant? So let me read this to you. This is John 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Account And last week we started by looking at this uh, one theme of Jesus being the Word, the Word of God. That's how John starts. In the beginning was the Word. And what we reminded ourselves of last week was that what that means is that Jesus is not just one other religious figure amongst many others. He's not just on the Mount Rushmore amongst Muhammad and Gandhi and Buddha and everybody else. Jesus is the very God that created the universe. He's the eternal God, the divine Word of God that formed everything. Come to dwell with us. And this week we're gonna pick up on the theme of light. Because if Jesus really is the eternal God, if he is the word made flesh, then that means he's also the light of the world. So we're gonna talk about what that means. Now light is an idea that's everywhere at Christmas time. Uh, In fact, me and Janae have a game. I'm gonna preface this so she doesn't get mad at me. I invented this game. And this is gonna be a time of of confession of sin to you. Because I am an extremely judgmental person. Because I invented a game called tacky or tasteless, okay? Oh no, sorry, no, tacky or tasteful, okay? And what this game is, is is we walk around our neighborhood, we look at the Christmas lights on other people's houses. <laughs> don't laugh, don't laugh, you don't know where I'm going. <laughs> and we say, oh, they are all beautiful. No, no, we say, "We say which ones are tacky and which ones are tasteful, okay? So let me give you some of the rules of the game, and it differs between me and Jane because we have different opinions on this. Uh, what constitutes tacky and what constitutes tasteful? We both generally agree if there is no pattern to your Christmas lights, like if you've got colors everywhere, there's no like, rhyme or reason to it, that's tacky. You have, you have just kind of splashed it with lights and there's no, there's no thought process to it. Janae thinks that inflatable Christmas creatures are tacky. I'm all for that though, I'm all for that. If you want to put a 30 foot snowman in your yard, I'll back you up on that, okay? I have this year, though, I have added a new category to this little judgmental game um, I, called Grinchy. Is it taggy? Is it tistle, or is it Grinchy? And here's what Grinchy means to me. If all you have done for your Christmas lights is change the color of your porch light. <laughs> like if there's no icicle lights or nothing, you got no spotlights, you got no nativity scene. I mean, you can even buy like projectors at Home Depot now that does it all for you. So if you're just putting a Red Bull bin, I'm sorry, but you're you're a little Grinchy. I, I'm not feeling the Christmas love from you, okay? But why is it that no matter where you live at, at all in, in the United States at Christmas time you're going to see lights? And in fact, around the world, if you go around the world, this idea of light is tangled up with the idea of Christmas, and it's because Christmas is the story of the true light, the true light that stepped into the world. Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors, he said this. He says the world is a dark place. And we will never find our way or see reality unless Jesus is our light. See, John is continuing this little story here. As he goes through John 1, he's, he's, he's using different metaphors, different words to capture who is this child born in the manger? Who is the one that has stepped into the world? And what he says is, he's the light. He's the light. And this is a really important metaphor, and it's a really thoughtful one on John's part. Because what John wants to say is that Jesus reveals things to us. That's why he's the light. Because the most fundamental thing that light does is it reveals. And in the Christmas story, what you and I remember, what we are reflecting on is the fact that Jesus reveals things to us. The true light that reveals things to us. He reveals to us our problem. He reveals to us our purpose. And he reveals to us God's presence. So I want to take a look at those with you, the way that Jesus reveals these things. And the first one is the way that the light reveals our problem. The light reveals our problem. Now, when we started this campus about uh, two and a half years ago, something like that, we renovated the building. And so while we were doing that, a lot of the kind of internal furniture things had to be stored outside in a big storage container. Some of you guys who were with us at that time, you remember this, because it would take up like five parking spots. We were delighted when it left. But on the day that it left, myself and the kids' directors, Jen Lindsay, she's here today, we went out into the parking lot to watch the crane lift it. Because it, it had sat there so long in the summer that the, the metal of the container had heated up and it had sank into the tarmac of the parking lot. In fact, I, I think you can still see the marks from it. Uh, and so as they lifted it up, we were kind of cheering that it was finally heading out. But right as it came above that like, lip that it had sank into, we saw something move out the corner of our eyes. And Jen Lindsay released a, a, a scream that I didn't know that the human being was capable of releasing. <laughs> She's laughing about it right now, I can watch her, watch it. Because out from underneath this container ran a mouse. But not just a mouse, a mouse that had many mice attached to its back. And it's kind of scattered out and ran to a dumpster to get into some more darkness, right? Because darkness hides things like that. All of us have one story or another like that where we've gone into a space where it's been really dark and as soon as you turn on the lights, things kind of scatter, right? It's an unpleasant image, but we all, we can feel it as soon as you tell a story like that, you know it. Things like to hide in the darkness. And the the Christmas story, as much as it's about light, is also about a darkness. Because what it tells us in John 1, verse five, is the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness is a problem specifically because it hides things from us, hides things from us, and that is exactly the problem into which the light of the world came. He came to reveal things to us. Think about the way that we talk about light. We use phrases like, let's shed some light on it. We talk about, hey, let's bring this into the light of day, and what are we saying? We're saying we want to reveal something. We want something to be seen clearly. In fact, even the way that your eye works is entirely based on light. What your eye does is it interprets the way that light is reflecting and refracting and bouncing off objects in this room. And if we turned out all the lights and there was no light available, our eyesight would cease to function. It's dependent on light to be able to see what's in front of you. This is really who Jesus is. When John talks about him as the true light, he talks about him as the one that reveals reality to us, the one who shows us what's there in front of our faces that perhaps has been shrouded in darkness. C.S. Lewis once famously said this. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. One of the reasons Lewis even became a Christian is he felt that the message of Christianity gave an explanation. It gave him a way of seeing things that he'd never thought of before. It answered questions for him. It revealed things to him. Another one of my favorite quotes at Christmas time is one by Fleming Rutledge. Who's famous for having said, every year Advent begins in the dark. She goes on to say, that's what I think is so important about the season. The uniqueness of Advent is that it really forces us more than any other season, even more than Lent, to look deeply into what is wrong in the world. See, the light of the world forces us to confront the problem of the world, that we're in darkness, that we are blinded to something. Blinded to two things in particular. First, the truth of God. The truth of God. There's a darkness in the world that blinds us to the truth of God. That he's real, that he's good. And most importantly, that he is a necessary component to human flourishing and life. And yet, the story of the Bible begins with the story of people neglecting and rejecting God as that necessary light in their life. First story in the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve who lived in a garden. It was very good. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. And yet what they did is that they believed the lie that they could live apart from God. They believed this this lie that they did not need his light. And that caused a lot of problems for all of us. They thought they could figure out life and purpose and joy and fulfillment apart from a creator God. And you and I now live in the darkness of that lie whether we realize it or not, all of us exist in a struggle to validate ourselves apart from God. And we're actually putting effort into resisting the light of the truth of God. That's what John says. He says, it stepped into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Well, what does that mean? It means that the darkness was trying to. That there is a darkness that resists the light of God. And that brings us to the second thing that's important is that darkness has blinded us not only to the truth of God but the truth of our own condition as human beings. There's a darkness that blinds us to ourselves. Jesus in John 3, this is a really famous account where he's talking to Nicodemus. And it's one of the most famous verses most of us have heard at some point in our life. Is John three sixteen, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But the very next words that he says contain these. This is the judgment of God that light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. See, our real problem, this darkness, it's not simply that two people at the beginning of time did something they shouldn't have done and made a choice that they shouldn't have made. The real problem is that you and I have made the same choice. That you and I have, in countless ways, decided to be our own light, to guide ourselves, So the darkness that John's talking about, it isn't just some kind of far-off existential darkness. It's deeply personal. It's a darkness that exists in all of our hearts, in one corner or another. And we don't want to look at it. We want to remain hidden from it, and we want it to be remaining hidden from us. Any of you who've had teenagers, you know if you go into the room early on a morning and you open the cans to be helpful to them, What's their reaction, right? Thanks, mom and dad. That was so kind of you. That helps me get out of bed, right? No. In fact, I remember my mom used to do that. She's so lovely. She used to come in in the morning and sing this nice song about good morning, good morning. She'd open the curtains. I'd be like, get out of here. (laughs) I was so mad. Now, why was I so mad? It's because there was darkness in that room, and that light exposed it, and it was uncomfortable for me early in the morning. Right? Maybe you've had this feeling, you wake up in the morning and the light, when it streams in, it's uncomfortable to you. Your eyes squint, you don't really want to look at it. Well, when the light of the world stepped into the world, there was a discomfort that came with that. Because we had been in darkness so long, even from ourselves, that that light brought discomfort with it. When it came to overcome that darkness. But thankfully, the light couldn't be overcome. And thankfully, he revealed our problem to us. Do you know one of the most holy and beautiful things about the light of the world is that he will always tell you the truth, even when it's uncomfortable. Now as much as we pretend that we don't want that, how many of us want a friend who will always tell us the truth, who is trustworthy, who doesn't take into consideration our discomfort, our dislike of reality, but who will be honest with us and tender with us and loving with us and help us to see things that are harmful, help us to see things that are causing pain and strife and suffering and struggle. Praise God that the light of the world shows us what he shows us. It's grace. Let me ask you this morning, have you let Jesus, the light of the world, tell you the truth about your own heart? Have you let him shine his light into the depths of the darkness in your life and reveal truth to you? Or have you drawn the curtains Second thing that light reveals to us is our purpose. The light reveals our purpose. When I was thinking about light this week, I came across a town called Rukan in Norway. And Rukan is a very unique town in the world because it, it is situated in the mountains in such a way that it has six months of total darkness. Because of its latitude on earth and because of the mountains around it, you've got a picture here, you can see that there's darkness all the way around the city for six whole months. So what they did in Rukan, they came up with this really interesting solution. They constructed huge mirrors on the mountainside that you can see right there, the light reflecting off one. And the purpose of these mirrors is to do just that, is to reflect light down into the valley onto the town. Isn't it so interesting? You can see the daylight and the sunlight and the shadow as well that those people live in. But what those mirrors do is it creates these spots in the town where they can come and stand in the light just for a little bit to feel its warmth, to feel the effect of it. You know that depression is associated with darkness, that if you are in darkness, that it actually causes your, uh, your mind to become depressed, to struggle, to be anxious. And so it's, it's good for their mental health just for people to come out and stand in the light and to embrace the goodness of it. So good for them. Well, what the Bible tells is that that was God's original intention for you and I, is to be mirrors just like the ones in Rukan that would reflect the light of the world into creation that we would be the kind of people who stand on the mountainside and reflect the goodness and the love and the mercy and the justice of God into a dark world so that people could come and stand in that light and feel the warmth of it, feel the grace of it. John tells us a story, an important part of the Christmas story, where he says this, John 1, verses 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now it's gonna get a little bit confusing because now we've got two Johns, okay? We've got John the Gospel writer and we've got John the Baptist. John is the one writing this story, but John the Baptist, you may be familiar, is a relative of Jesus. He was born shortly before Jesus. And in fact, the angel that promised Mary that she would have a son, also told her your cousin Elizabeth is gonna have a son too. He's gonna be John the Baptist. And he's gonna pave the way, he's gonna be a witness for Jesus. He's going to be someone who goes ahead and prepares the well for Jesus. John the Baptist, his whole life became about this, about pointing towards Christ. And in fact, even once John's ministry starts to take off, he's getting popular, people are coming to hear his messages, some of his disciples come and say, hey, we've heard about this guy, Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus is healing people, and people are coming to him to hear his stories. And even our own disciples now, they're leaving us to go and listen to him. Now, if John was anything like most of the preachers in this world, and sometimes, unfortunately, even like me, he would have said, oh, what are we going to do to try and get people to come back to us? But John said one of the most important things I think has ever been said in the Bible, and it's this, I must decrease, and he must increase. And John said that is because John understood his purpose. He knew his purpose was not to stand on the podium and to be the light. He was not the light. John knew my purpose is to point people towards him because he is far better for the world than I am. His words and his actions and his life is gonna be a light to people that I could not possibly be. And that's the purpose that you and I share. It is the most fundamental purpose in our life to bear witness to the light, to point to something greater than ourselves, to point the world towards something that it needs. Does that describe you? Is that what your life points to? You know that that this idea, this design, this purpose is so fundamental to human DNA that you are by default pointing towards something. Whether it's Jesus or not, you're pointing towards something in your life. Maybe it's that you need to be successful, maybe it's that you need to be wealthy, maybe it's that you need to be in a certain kind of relationship. I don't know what it is, but chances are if you took a look at your life, you could figure out pretty quickly from what you spend your time on, your money on, your effort on, what is it that you point people towards? What is it that when people look at you, they see this is the light in the darkness? There are things in this world which give faint echoes of God's light, but they are not God. And they cannot hope to dispel the darkness the way that he does. We keep looking to moons to do what only the sun can do. And here's what I mean by that, is when you go out at nighttime, the moon is shining in the sky, especially on a full moon, beautiful light. But have you noticed the, dark, the sky is still black? There's still darkness all around you. For all the brilliance of the moonlight, it can never do what the sun does, because as soon as the sun rises over the horizon, the sky tends to blue, and light spills over everything around you. It's not a spotlight anymore but it's brilliant surrounding light everywhere around you. It's beautiful. And this is who Jesus is. And there's many things in the world that reflect, just like the moon reflects the light of the sun, there are many things in the world that reflect the beauty and the goodness of God, but they are not God. And they cannot fill the world the way that he can. And so our job is not look towards moons, it's to look towards the sun. But there's one more thing I wanna highlight, one reason why it's important to reflect on what John says about John the Baptist is because some of us are really lost in our darkness. And some of us are even tempted to think that maybe we are a light. Maybe we are a light. We wouldn't maybe admit that out loud regularly, but we think that we have the answers or the ability to guide ourselves out of our own darkness. If we read the right books, if we tick the right boxes, if we put the right effort in, then maybe we can guide ourselves out of our struggles. We can be the solution to our own problems, but we can't. Some of you are struggling through life right now trying to be your own light. Trying to be good enough, to be smart enough, to be put together enough. You strive hard enough to fix your own problems, to earn God's approval, to navigate the darkness by yourself. And the most pivotal truth of the gospel, the most fundamental thing to Christianity is this, you can't be your own light. You cannot guide yourself. You must have the light of Christ. You are called to bear witness to him. The purpose of your life isn't to be great enough, good enough, successful enough, wise enough, strong enough. It's to point to the one who's been all of those things already, who is all of those things right now for you. The purpose of your life is to reflect the greatness of his light. This is what Zachariah, John's father, told him at his birth. He spoke this over him. He wrote this beautiful song, and this is what he says in Luke 1. Verse 68, he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. And then he says to John in verse 76, you child will be called the prophet of the most high. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of his salvation of his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I love that phrase in verse 78, the sunrises visited us. That the sun has kind of just picked itself up and moved towards us because of its great love for us. And Zechariah says right there, John, your purpose, your destiny is to help others see that the has visited them, not to be a sunrise yourself. And I think that's good for us to remember each and every year to remind ourselves: we are not the light, we are not the sunrise. The sunrise has visited us And we're supposed to point towards that. So as we come up on another election year, and it's gonna be another year when we're asking ourselves, who could be a light to us? Which person could tell us the right things and do the right things and be the right things? We need to remind ourselves, that's not where our hope is. Our hope is not in moons, it's in the sun. Last thing that I wanna highlight is that the light reveals God's presence. Verses nine and 10 in John 1 says, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. Now that's, I think, incredible given what we've already talked about this morning. That there's a great darkness in the world, that we've rejected God, we don't think about him. Why would the light move towards us? And seriously, if if the beginning story of the Bible was, hey, we appreciate God but we think we can do a better job. We're gonna do it our way. And darkness filled the whole earth, an earth that was good, that was very good, that was beautiful. If you were God, would you move towards that darkness? I would say, hey, that's on you. You have made this darkness for yourself. Now you can sit in it. Praise God, God's not like me. You know what God does? He says to the prophet Isaiah this, he says, there will be no gloom for her who is in an anxious. I love that phrase, no gloom. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations where Jesus would be born. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. They are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot for the trampling warrior in battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. These are images of war and destruction and violence and brokenness. And what Isaiah is saying is that God is gonna break those things. He's gonna get rid of those things. He's gonna dispel Weapons of war and destruction and violence. And he says this, For to us a child is born. So why is light shone? Because a child was born. A son was given. And the government shall be on his shoulder. This name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The light that shone is God's presence. It's he himself dwelling with us to be a light in the darkness, to guide us, to warm us, to save us from ourselves. There's two important things in that. First, we've already hinted at God's presence moves towards darkness, not away from it. Moves towards darkness, not away from it. Consider what we've done. We've already talked about that, our refusal. How beautiful it is. And even more so than that, can you imagine what it was like to be God, surrounded in light and glory, to be totally in goodness and beauty, and to step out of that into a dark, frightening, violent world. And not only that, because he didn't just step into the world, he chose to make himself a child, vulnerable, dependent, to be born in a manger of all places. I mean, It's arguably he found the darkest spot of the darkness to be born into. Shortly after Jesus was born, there was a genocide in Bethlehem. His family had to flee as refugees. So many things in that darkness, and he moved towards it. Yet the second thing, very important, God's presence doesn't just want you to see the light, He wants you to know the light. I told in verses 9 and 10, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And why? Because He was in the world, the world was made through Him, and yet the world did not know Him. So the true light steps in, not just to be seen, but so that you could know Him. I want to read another. Quote from C.S. Lewis. Jeff would be proud today. <laughs> says this. Says, in one way, of course, God has given us the morning star already. You can go and enjoy the gift on many fine mornings if you get up early enough. What more, you may ask, do we want? So he's saying you, could, you can go out and enjoy the beauty of God in creation every day if you want to. But he says, what, what more do we want? We want so much more. Something that the books on aesthetics take little notice of, but the poets and the mythologies know all about. We do not merely want to see beauty, God knows even that is bounty enough. We want something else which can hardly be put into words, to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become a part of it. What Lewis is saying is that we don't just want to see the light, we want to know the light. And at the depths of our souls, we want to know it, and we want to be known by it. And God saw that, and so he moved towards us move towards us because even though he was in the world, the world did not know him. And he wanted the world to know him. He wanted the world to see him and experience him. Did you know that Christianity, it's not some intellectual experience. It is a true, tangible life experience. It's not something that just lives in your head. something that you can experience. Have you turned yourselves towards the child in the manger and seen who he really is? Not just a hopeful figure, a philosopher, a teacher, but God in the flesh come to bring light in your darkness. I want to finish by just looking at one very famous part of the Christmas story, and that's the story of the angels appearing to the shepherds. Shepherds, who you didn't know, were the lowest people in their society, pretty much. Not looked on well by many people and when a king enters into the world these are the last people you would think get to hear the announcement first and yet as shepherds were in their field watching their flocks by night were told in Luke 2 that an angel of the lord appeared to them and the glory of the lord shone around them and they were terrified the light of god became visible to them and angels were singing about it praising it and what was their response they were terrified terrified why were they terrified because the light reveals our problem those shepherds had no doubt in their mind when the glory of the lord shone around them who they were and what was wrong with them they knew if i get close to that light it'll destroy me i have to get out of here i've got to draw the curtains right now but the angel says this to them don't be afraid I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And he is the Messiah, the Lord. The Lord is is a a way of saying, this is God. This is not just some figure that's come to help you. This is God himself, and he's been born to you. He's given himself to you. And so those shepherds run to see it. God's presence moves them out of their fear, right? Right? The light doesn't just reveal your problem, it reveals the solution. God's presence with you, for you, to you. Do you know that child? Do you know that he's your light? That your darkness cannot overcome him. It doesn't deter him, doesn't tear him away. When he sees the darkness inside of your heart and in your life, it doesn't frighten him the way it frightens you. In fact, he's ready to step into it and to be for you everything that you could not be for yourself. So not just be a moon, but to be a sunrise that visits you. Christ brings the light of God near to us, and he brings it to us safely so that we can become not only beholders of it, but participants in us. The the last chapter of the Bible, we've talked about the front one a lot today, the last chapter of the Bible in Revelation, it says that when Christ returns in his second advent, he will become light to all of us. That the sunrise itself will melt away because no longer will we need the light of the sun because we'll have the full light of Christ to warm us, to fill us, to bring life to us. That's what C.S. Lewis was saying we all hope for. The longing of every human heart, every human soul is to not just see the light, to become part of it, and Jesus is the doorway into becoming a part of it. That's why he says, I am the light of the world. Shepherds ran to see this thing God had done. Zachariah rejoiced because the sunrise had visited him from high. The child in the manger is the true light that has come to shine on anyone who would turn their face towards him. This Christmas, I invite you to turn your face towards him that he may shine on you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this chance to reflect on the light of the world. There's so many great things that he does for us that we can't even begin to capture this morning so many things he reveals to us. And Father, our only prayer is that we, like John, would be those who point towards him. Lord, that this Christmas, as we continue to live in a world that has great darkness in it, Lord, that we would remind ourselves of the light that has come, the true light that gives life to men. Lord, may we point towards him, may we behold him rightly, and Lord, may you allow us to enter in to knowing him. We love you, Lord, but not as much as you love us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for Worship today. I hope it was an encouragement to you, and I hope if nothing else, you have been reminded that there is a light that has come into the world for you. You don't need to be anything for him. You don't need to do anything for him, only to receive him by faith, to trust him, to let him shine on you. Just a couple of reminders as we wrap up. First, just want to remind you, if you could grab one of these bags at our Shepherd's Heart uh, Lobby uh, because it's immensely helpful as we're going through a shortage right now. It's got a list of everything you bring. You can pick it up and drop it off here anytime at the Shepherd's Heart uh, counter. Then secondly, if you want to take one of these, we would love for you to invite uh, someone to come and join us for Christmas time. To celebrate. And if you are a regular attender, if you could register just so that we have an idea of who will be coming to which service so that we can help serve our guests, because we always have a lot of people join us extra at Christmas time. Now, let me close with the benediction from John 8 when Jesus tells us in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not dwell in darkness, but will have the light of life. May you know the light of the world and follow him. And it's in his name that we go. Amen. <laughs>